0: Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and it's great to be back here with you with Pastor Jim. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. It is good to be here, and not wearing any—I guess I am wearing a hat, but— no helmet. No helmet. No, like, Roman centurion type <laughs> of garb. But uh, it's great to have you guys joining us for another conversation. What we love to do on the cutting room floor is jump back into the text, yeah. jump back into uh, nuances in the scriptures that we didn't get to dive all the way into in the, in the sermon from the last week. And so—
1: Even though this was a sermon where we did a little cutting room floor stuff in the sermon. That's
0: right. And I—I I mean— <laughs> I may be a little bit partial, but I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, we're hoping you guys did as well, and we're, we're excited to have this conversation. Uh-huh. And uh, why don't we uh, get started by just kind of—you you talked about how you got into the yeah. idea of the sermon series, but of course the series that we're in is The Love That Launched Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the reason that we're talking about Christmas is because Christmas is just a couple weeks away. And we're getting into the Advent season. Right. Um, there's a lot of richness when it comes to the Advent season that oh you and I love to, yeah. we've chatted about before. Yeah. Um, it can also be uh, like an uncomfortable thing for some folks. Uh, I don't know if you, do you want to talk about Advent at all? Uh, just as we're getting into what, what the season. What does that mean? Yeah, what does Advent mean? That's a good question. <laughs> I was asking you. Oh, what does Advent mean? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it, it's from the Latin, right?
1: Yes, Adventus. Adventus.
0: Coming. Adventus coming. Which which means coming <laughs> and so it's a it's a time when we look back to the first coming of Christ, mm-hmm. forward to the next coming of Christ, and so I loved how we in the Illyria campus we sang "O Come, O Come Emmanuel." Yes, we did. One of my all-time favorite Christmas songs. Is it? Oh yeah. Oh wow. I, I just love, I love how it it places us in the seat of Israel yeah. awaiting the Messiah, yeah. and and Wings there's a back. sense in which yeah. we're we're also anticipating, and so
1: well, and that's a good place for us to jump into the sermon because yeah. that's. That is so important for us, as we stand on this side of the cross, this side of the coming of Messiah, to enter back into that world of anticipation yes. and coming and waiting. And, and in some cases, way beyond waiting, it's it's disillusioned. It's discouraged. It's almost kind of resigned. I guess he's not coming. Mm. That's absolutely a part. There's some people are waiting with anticipation and eagerness. Other are other people in the Old Testament are waiting with anticipation and discouragement. Mm. You know, very similar waiting until yeah. that last word. Eagerness versus discouragement, and some people had given up, and maybe they, they don't even believe anymore. Why should, why should we believe that kind of stuff? Mm. So, um, ha- helping us grasp concepts of the Old Testament, uh, culture of the Old Testament mindsets and attitudes of the Old Testament really helps yeah. some, some scriptures come to life. And I also think it answers some questions, Clay, that some people have about the Old Testament because they're only looking at it a truth from New Testament eyes or mm. 21st century eyes. And it's just so helpful to get back into the culture yeah. and the mindset of those days. Oh, that's what that means.
0: <laughs> have you ever heard of the book, Misreading Scripture oh, yeah. with Western Eyes? yes. We may have talked about this on the we podcast. We do it all the time. I yeah, it's uh I that's a book I was assigned to read in college, that I skimmed. So <laughs> I I've heard great things about it.
1: <laughs> most of the stuff in that book now you you know and and believe so. You, sure, I'm not sure you would learn a whole lot.
0: But even just the title, I mean, and the, and the concept yeah. is is self evident. But you're absolutely <laughs> right, and you know when we think about this coming of Christ and the anticipation that we have. Um, not only were the folks in olden days having a mix of discouragement and hope, but I think also that can be really telling about our own hearts. Um, I, I was sharing with the guest yeah. services team on Sunday a new ancient phrase I learned, uh, which is the phrase Maranatha. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what that meant until. Come, Lord Jesus. Two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. come quickly.
0: And, and uh, I heard that it. Um, <clears throat> Was a replacement for the greeting shalom amongst early believers, mm-hmm. and so they would greet one another saying, "Come, Lord Jesus." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think is that the last word of the, of the Bible? I think it is. Or yeah, near the last. Yep, and yeah. it's also it's also maintained in, in a lot of early Christian literature. Yeah. and so I was reading some early Christian literature and like, oh man, check this out.
1: Yeah, I remember when I first heard that because I knew of a church called Maranatha Fellowship. Okay, and for me, Maranatha meant. Charismania, mm. it met um, you know some wild things happening in the church. You know, Interesting. S- things I was a little uncomfortable with. So when I realized, hey, that's a Bible word, <laughs> you
0: know, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, and I think we, we can we can fall into that same trap of feeling like, well, it's been two thousand years. What do we? You know, when we talk about imminence, mm-hmm. the, the imminence of Christ's return, it you could know, come any we, second. Yeah, and so it's it's fun. It's been fun for me to recapture as we've been on ramping into Advent. A sense of Christ is coming, yeah. he is soon returning, yeah. and uh
1: I think most churches and I, I might even say even my own ministry, I think we do a better job of entering back into the first ante- anticipation of the first advent than we do during advent season mm-hmm. talking about the second advent uh, I, I know I do I've spent more time talking about the first advent, yeah. you know the coming of Christ two thousand years ago. And less talking about using that Advent season to talk about Him coming again.
0: Yeah. Um, so, but it can be very um, helpful mm. as a devotion, you know, to to use that energy to reflect on because we're also people in waiting.
1: And I think when times get hard, you know, the early church clearly um, put their hope in the second coming of Christ. Yep. Not all of their hope because they, they didn't believe in just an escapism. Would you, you know, I can't do anything here in this world. I'll just wait until Jesus comes back. It wasn't that. But is, as they worked in this world to, re, to help bring redemption in this world and to minister the suffering of this world, there was always in the back of their mind this, the second coming, God will make it right. And that, that was a, a background for early New Testament Christians that gave them a very solid sense of he is coming. He will yeah. make things right and if this world is not all there is i think we swing to two two you know uh, sides of the spectrum where either are so focused on doing everything we can to fix this world that we forget you know there's a messiah and there's there's <laughs> jesus and he will come back and he will make everything right and the other swing is to be so you know utterly focused so right. heavenly focused that we're no earthly good yeah and we don't we don't <laughs> work to to help people in their suffering of you know, these days. That's right. We got to find that biblical balance.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, you know, one of the reasons I love that we are a church that goes through the scriptures is because the scriptures provide that balance for us. Yes. And so as we're, you know, we're getting into the season of Advent that we love, (laughs) and we love to be reminded of the birth of Christ and the, and the imminence of his return, but, and then we're also in the book of Luke. And so, uh, I I just want to start by, um, maybe setting the stage again for, for our (laughs) conversation. We, Oh, that's not Luke. That's Revelation, (laughs) which we were just talking about. But uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the fourth gospel, or third gospel. Um, So we're in Luke chapter 6, Jesus in his sermon on the level place or his sermon on the plain. He gets done with the beatitudes and and the woes. And then he says in verse 27, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you yeah just these Mm. radical (laughs) statements and then uh we we jumped down and read as well in verse 35 but love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because Mm -hmm. he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked be merciful just as your father is merciful so there 's a sense in jesus 's words that as a backdrop to his call, and this is what you were getting into into in the sermon, the backdrop for his call to love your enemies is the fact that God has mm, done this yes thing. yes and so um as we're as we're thinking about loving our enemies as we 're thinking about God and his enemies uh, one of the one of the questions that you got into is you know do we view ourselves do we do we understand that we at one point were enemies of God yeah and so can we can we start just with that idea and unpacking that a bit more Mm -hmm. because of course the, the drift of the sermon and the Advent series is going to be that God in Christ was loving us, Mm -hmm. even though we were his enemies. Amen. Uh, But you know, let's, let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. What do we mean when we were say we were enemies of God?
1: Well, one thing we don't mean is I think a lot of times language of enemy language today gets uh, filled with hate. If I have an enemy you know, I hate them or if, if they hate me. And that is, that is the case for mm. sure sometimes. But uh, the word enemy is not always laced with hate. It could be, um, you know, just someone in opposition. Yeah. So sometimes we use this like in, in sports, we talk about the opposing team being the enemy. Well, it doesn't mean we hate them. Well, that's just Ohio State, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean we hate them or we wish them ill, mm-hmm. you know, but they're just the opposition. And, um, and so that's one of the words the Bible uses to describe the enemies of God is they, they live or they stand in opposition to God. And it could be that they hate that there's a God who has a call on their life. It could be that they hate God's ways, but that's not a part of the definition necessarily. Mm. So that's why I use the words opposition, rebellion, and basically that that equals sin. Um, and in the life group questions, um, uh, we we didn't do life group this week. Our our group got canceled because okay. people couldn't make it. So yeah. one of the questions I wrote was, um, you know, can you be in opposition? I think something like, can you get be in opposition and rebellion to God without it being doing it intentionally? Yeah. And I, I would love to have heard like our group yeah. you know, wrestle that
0: out. It was. Did it, you guys do it? We did, yeah. and we. We were we were also down about eight folks with with illness. So it was a smaller group, yeah. and then we had some new folks joining us, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, that was a really interesting question <laughs> because and and folks were kind of going both ways with it mm-hmm. because I think and this is kind of where I as I was steering the conversation where where we kind of landed is you can argue both sides. Yeah, you, you I think can you argue. Can and you can actually help me remember this in the Old Testament in the sacrificial system it makes provision for folks who sin unintentionally it does and there's there are, mm-hmm. i don't know i can't i couldn't remember are there different sacrifices or at sometimes no sacrifice necessary but but, but then they had like some overarching sacrifices for sins that were un you know committed unknowingly mm-hmm. in fact, um, there's, there's
1: more talk about unintentional sins. Oh wow. Then there is intentional sins.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And there's like high-handed, is that what they is a high-handed sin an intentional sin versus yeah. it's like a
1: stiff-necked sin, sometimes <laughs> it's called, you know. And that, that picture in the Old Testament, the language of stiff-neck is rebellion. Yeah. I I am set against you yep. and I rebel against you. And that's if we can talk about levels, that's a level of sin, yeah. a level of of opposition <laughs> that God, you know, feels strong, you know, strongly yeah. about.
0: And now that I've got yeah. a three-year-old at home... <laughs> yeah, you uh, understand that. Yeah, I'm starting <laughs> to learn more and more about yeah. high-handed sin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, love you, Arden. <laughs> but, but see, um,
1: I just filled out a, a spiritual advisor uh, yep. recommendation for Arden to go Absolutely. to LDCS.
0: All, almost time for preschool.
1: Um, but that's a, it's a wonderful. I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes people wonder, how can God describe me as his enemy mm. and yet love me yeah in fact that's a that's a very real question for some people that i know it's not just a theoretical question or a abstract question right. it's i i can't reconcile those i struggle with those and i think one of the great ways to get at that is to talk about the way a parent loves a rebellious child yep and whether that child whether that's the early onset of rebellion which is you know, a kid trying to discover their boundaries. Who am I? You know, I, I need to be able to, s- to speak for myself. I, I, I need to be able to, I need to be able to say no. Or it's blossomed rebellion of a 15 year old or a 17 year old, you know, yeah. who is in full blooded rebellion. In either case, um, a father or a mother who loves that can love that child, even though they hate the rebellion present in that child and in, or may need to either discipline or punish, and those aren't the same thing, that there needs to be an or there, Um, that rebellion, or go after it to root it out. It needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. What you can't do with rebellion is just blow it off. Right. And so uh, there's less more to be said about how God deals with his enemies, but um, a perspective that's helpful is the perspective of a loving parent with a rebellious child
0: yeah and and also i think that there's what what here, here's where it gets a little bit interesting because when i'm disciplining or when i'm uh, punishing i'm not necessarily doing so to preserve my own character mm-hmm. um, i'm doing so for the good of my child and i think god does do that but there are there are also times in the old testament where he's he talks about his dealing in the prophets in particular, he's talking about how he's dealing with Israel in a certain way mm-hmm. for the sake of his name yeah. or for the sake of his holiness. Yeah. And yet a part of him preserving his character is also his long suffering character. It's also his, you know, <laughs> how, how he chooses to be named. He's like, you, I won't be made a fool out of yeah. by, uh, but in a
1: way you are in, in preserving your character because mm-hmm. you are not just any old clay, right? you sure. are, arden's father yeah and so your discipline or your words and your relationship is much more significant Mm -hmm. than than an, an uncle or a neighbor yeah or even a grandparent you know there's an intimacy of relationship and so it's it's important for a child to recognize i've said this language to my children uh when i've had to spank them or i've had to discipline them um I I don't want to do this uh, but I have to because we've got to deal with this attitude or we've got to deal with this sin or we've got to deal with this um rebellion and it actually hurts me uh, but but I I've explained to my children in theological terms how uh, their rebellion their sin their lying or whatever it was is uh, an entrance into understanding the gospel mm-hmm. and the gospel can't be understood without understanding the God behind the gospel. Right. And who he is. In fact, if God wasn't who he was, there couldn't be a gospel. Yeah. The gospel gets its, its tap. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, what's word we're looking for. It's, um, uh, color. It's yeah. Texture, color and texture mm-hmm. yeah. and substance because of, who the God is that has brought that good news. That's right. And so you're you're doing that as a father and you're mm-hmm. you want your kids. So I've said things to my kids like, you know, God has made me your daddy, and I have a responsibility to represent God to you. I do a bad job of it, but that's my job, honey, is to love you and to help you see something of what God is like by the way I parent you, father you, discipline you. Yeah. And uh I'm teaching theology to my kid when they're little. They're little. Yeah, it's uh, scary.
0: It's <laughs> such a terrifying. But I think stuff. that's essential.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that, yeah. what I'm saying is absolutely true. I had been placed as a representative of God on planet Earth, and if I'm given children, that represent rep, that representative position is even more important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I can get passionate about that. Yeah, I can feel my. You know,
0: <laughs> 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 it's good. It, well, and um, yeah, I, I mean, the time does not allow for us to talk about, you know, for those listening who are uh, called into ministry, you know, that's also another place oh, where, oh, yeah. like, I've had to tell folks what I had to deliver some bad news to them, uh, where, you know, they were wanting things to go one way and I had to... <laughs> right. Disappoint them. I've said you. You know you. What you want is for me to represent the scriptures, and for me to represent my best understanding of who God is. And I'm. I'm sorry, it has to go this way, but this is the. This is. I I can't. On on this, I stand. I can do no other. That that sort of thing. Absolutely. But um. So so in the in the midst of all this, so we're talking about this question: Can someone be in rebellion against God unintentionally? Mm -hmm. And, And one of the one of the things we're observing is. If we're taking the Old Testament sacrificial system as an indication Mm -hmm. because of the way that it talks about unintentional sin, it doesn't excuse unintentional sin, but it does make a different kind of provision for it. Mm -hmm. And so it, it might seem that on the one hand, yes, someone could unintentionally sin or unintentionally be in rebellion against God in that sense. Mm -hmm. And yet there's also the, you know, you can argue from the other side of the equation by turning, for example, um, to Romans chapter one and in Romans chapter one, what Paul says seems to indicate that what is clear about God, what is, what is known about God is clear to us in nature that there, we, we have this, sometimes we can talk about a universal judicial sentiment Mm -hmm. where when someone cuts us off in traffic Mm -hmm. real quickly, we all become, you know, very absolute truth type of people. (laughs) And and uh, we don't live up to our own standards of rightness. And See, that's wrongness. not what I do.
1: When, when, I, when a driver cuts me off, I say to myself, "Well, they have their own truth." That's and so you know, <laughs> they, they for them that light was green, you know, right? Right? Or, you know, there was their right of ways. That's how I process it. You yeah, know, yeah. You have your truth. I have mine. I need to say I'm tongue in cheek because some people might believe that.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> no. but so in, in in Paul's economy in in Romans one, it's. It, it, it seems like he's removing the opportunity for us to say, "Well, but I'm without excuse yeah, I because didn't know. I didn't know." Right. And Paul wants to say, "No, we're all without excuse." Right. So, yeah. um, you know, in, in that sense, Paul, and, and he actually goes so as far as to say, "We suppress the truth. Mm-hmm. We suppress what's, what's known about God." Yes. That's an active word. So yeah. we're we're actively in rebellion.
1: And um, but one of the reasons that Paul can say that. One of the biggest reasons Paul can say that is because the of the ministry of and the work of the Holy Spirit um I wish that he actually made that more clear in romans one mm. he he helps us see that other places but if there's not the convicting work of the Holy Spirit then then that argument would not exist mm. it, it only can exist because the Holy Spirit's working to reveal who God is right in nature in relationships yeah. and it's an active and it's a it's a um, powerful work that the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. And that's where we move from, well, I, I didn't realize that was sin. Well, Paul says well, that's the purpose of the law, is to to help you ex- see that what you're doing is living in rebellion, and yeah. what you're doing is actually sin, so we can get clear about that, oh, and man. that's the work of the Holy Spirit and, yeah. to, and, the, and the Word of God, to bring clarity to, oh, yeah. that's a sin. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Yeah. And none of that makes sense if I don't have a holy and just God.
0: Yeah. And I wonder even sometimes people will call... Have you ever heard Galatians called like the mini Romans? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Definitely. I was trying to make sure I was remembering correctly, but in, in Galatians, it talks a lot more explicitly about the relationship between, you know, the law was a, as a teacher, mm-hmm. it was a tutor. It was watching over us, helping Pedagogue. us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was helping to instruct us about right living, but the spirit is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is, is working in a new way, yes. in a different way, yes. uh, to convict and to help us to pursue life. And of course, Jesus's words in late, late in the gospel of John, he will come to convict the world concerning sin. That's the part of the role of the Holy spirit. Yes. And that's not just to convict believers concerning sin, um, to to, to your point. So we can—did you have an answer in mind when you wrote that question about whether or not it's—
1: No, I I, just—I had an anticipation of great dialogue. Yeah. uh, Because Mm -hmm. I I think there is an argument to be made for for either side. Yeah. Uh, And there's a provision in the gospel for both unintentional and intentional sins. That's right. Um, Because salvation is not parsed as, well, there's salvation for unintentional sins, and there's salvation from intentional sins. It's just sin. Right. Uh, so, you know, yeah. whether it's sins of commission or sins of omission, or whether it's unintentional or intentional, um, you know, whether it's rebellion or whether it's fear-based, sometimes I sin out of fear. I, I, I'm not sinning out of rebellion, I'm sinning out of fear. So for whatever reason, it's sin is sin. And yeah. um, the Bible doesn't parse out different kinds of salvation for different kinds of sin.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and there's also, you know, you think about the individual application of redemption versus the corporate application of redemption. And so we can say that Christ died for sin, capital S Mm -hmm. type of, you know, he, Christ died to deal with the problem of sin at a cosmic level. Yeah. And to, you know, be the new, the second Adam versus. Yeah.
1: And and let's actually go to Ephesians. That's a great place to see this is in Ephesians chapter 1. Ah, yes. (laughs) um, It's early on. I think it's like 6 or 7. Verse 6 or 7. Ephesians 1. Oh, it's verse 7. So in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace, that is one of the most loaded sentences in the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. and uh, this is one of the things that was left on the cutting room floor, and <laughs> I'm just like, I can't do that. I, I can't leave that on the cutting room floor, but there's just I've you know preached through Ephesians, and we've talked about this before, and um, so that's why I love our podcast because we can get a chance to talk about this that's but, right but Paul is not talking in Ephesians here primarily about your personal relationship with God, your personal sin, what Jesus has done for you personally. He's talking about this cosmic, this corporate sense of of what Christ has done for us and how if we're in him, we have these things. And so uh, there's a place for the personal and the individual, and there's a place for the corporate and the the, the cosmic. And so this verse is in him, in Christ, uh, we have redemption. And I, I love the phrase redemption through his blood, because that brings clarity, this is not um, redemption some other way, like there was something some payment made that was you know money right. or a deed done, but this is that Old Testament picture of without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, yeah, and I also love it because it, it puts it links together redemption with with forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. um, and then all tied in with the fact that this is god's grace, which is god 's love that 's right displayed in uh, in his actions toward us uh, oh it 's just so good, oh yeah, yeah,
0: and even later on it talks about how when when we believed we were included in Christ mm-hmm. verse thirteen mm-hmm. that 's again that idea of this we 're included we 're counted in Christ rather than being counted in Adam. Um, you know, a lot of t- if you if we read you you, you actually reference Romans five uh, in your sermon. If you keep reading in Romans five after verse eleven, mm-hmm. it gets into
1: the first, like Adam, Adam
0: and Jesus is the second Adam. Right. So he's right. he, Jesus is succeeding where Adam failed, right. but he's also you know in Adam's sin we all die, but in Christ's yeah. death we all live, yep, yep. type of deal. So it's uh, th- all all of these layers of salvation. Sometimes it can make it. Not difficult to talk about, but it's, it's helpful to have longer conversations about because—
1: And we need to because, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is, the, this is the gift of the Apostle Paul to the body of Christ. Yes. It is better than anybody, he—I used, used the illustration this past week of redemption as a jewel. Yeah. But we could back up and say before the redemption as a jewel that has many facets, there's salvation. And redemption is just one of the facets of salvation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think Paul does better than anybody of helping us get a really beautiful look at each of the facets of salvation. And one of those is redemption. In two weeks, it will be reconciliation. Oh, wow. (laughs) You you get to preach about that, (laughs) each campus pastor. And um, so adoption, regeneration, um, justification, sanctification, all these they're similar, similar, but they're different, and mm-hmm. they are these facets, these different sides that, that that salvation can only be rightly understood when you look at all these together. Yeah, and, um, and we can do an injustice to the concept of salvation or the concept of each one of these facets if we don't bring clarity and definition and just kind of blur them all together. Yep. Th- they shouldn't be blurred. They're distinct words that have powerful meaning and, and beautiful color. And I think helps us appreciate our salvation when we go into this. And mm-hmm. again, this is one of the beauties of the cutting room floor is it gives us a chance to poke into that a little yeah. bit. But like for instance today with redemption.
0: Absolutely. And that when when, you, when we um, when I was teaching the foundations classes, I had a, a whole hour long, con- you know, lecture or conversation on uh, the these concepts, mm. and that was one of my favorite classes of all the classes that that I got to <laughs> teach because. I got to show it it just it brings out really good conversation and it brings out a a new appreciation for the height and the depth and the breadth of salvation, because you, you I have this slide where there's a big black box in the middle of the slide and there's a person on the left and a person on the right of the box. And going in, there's all these descriptive words. You're, you're a sinner. You're estranged from God. You're an mm-hmm. enemy of God. You're lost. All these sorts of things. And then on the far side, it's you're redeemed. You're you're a, you're a new creation. You're uh, you're the righteousness of God. All yeah. these all these effects of salvation. And then the overarching term is salvation. But mm-hmm. within that box is yeah. all these well, terms good. that you have talked about. I like that. And it it prompts question. Okay, when we when we think about salvation, we need to uh, you know talk about what you know is there an order here is that super important well mm-hmm. we well let's talk about that mm-hmm. but at at a broad glance all this stuff is included yeah and including sometimes people will freak out because the word death is included mm-hmm. in in that box death is a part of the process by which we'll be glorified in in the end mm-hmm. um so yeah salvation is pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> But um And within that
1: salvation redemption is pretty cool. Absolutely. And I think the old Testament, the, the Bible times people grasp more quickly mm-hmm. the the beauty of redemption yeah. and the significance of redemption than we do. Mm. Uh, something happened, I was <laughs> at a restaurant recently and uh I had a gift card. And uh when I Gave it to the clerk and he put it in the machine. It said redeemed. <laughs> <laughs> the card re- re- you know we're, we're redeeming yeah. what's on that card. And I'm right. like, I wish you wouldn't use that word, to, because that's <laughs> that is that's trivializing. Uh, and so you know, as as a person who doesn't know God or know the Bible or know redemption, I see that word redeemed or redemption on my gift card, and I'm like, oh, that's what redemption's about. Well, in a strange kind of way, but yeah. But when when Bible people heard the word redemption their mind was instantly filled of of you know animals whose blood had to be shed that's right or a payment that had to be made uh to rescue someone uh, or you know or a prisoner of war that um was held captive and now is released you know mm-hmm. these are powerful in fact you know what yeah. uh, let's we got the time let's let's go to Psalm a 107 this is This is um, one of my favorite psalms. I preached through this for a Thanksgiving sermon, oh, I don't know, five or six years ago, and fell in love with this psalm. Um, Hmm. So I actually encourage people um, uh, listening, if you have an opportunity to grab a Bible, because I'm going to point out some things. So Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed, there's that word again, from the hand of the foe. And then what he does is he actually tells their story in four groups of people throughout Psalm 107. So it's a beautiful poetic setup for we're going to now summarize four kinds of people's stories. I'm going to tell their story And it's a story of redemption. And that is why we should, verse 1, give thanks. And so what you'll see is a pattern that starts at verse 4 with this word, some. You see that same word in the next group, verse uh, 10, some. Again, verse 17, some. Again, in verse 23, some. So these are four sums, four groups, and it, it, it describes the kind of trouble they were in. Then this pattern gets repeated. Then they cried out, like verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So you see that in verse 6, then you yeah. see it again in verse 13, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress, exact same phrase. So you see that same thing with the third group and the fourth group. So there's this pattern gets repeated, and then he uh, specifically talks about how he met their trouble, and then... They give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love, His wonderful deeds for mankind. So, what is introduced in verse seven then gets illustrated in verse eight for the first group, gets illustrated in verse fifteen for the second group, and gets illustrated in verse twenty-one for the third group, and then in verse um, thirty-one for the for the fourth group. And it's just this beautiful pattern. Mm. It just shows you know the, the ar- artistry of the writer, but. Uh, in the fr- the first group could be considered people who are lost, okay, versus four through yeah. um, nine. The second group would be those who are imprisoned, verses ten through um, fourteen. And so I, that's what I want to camp on is, uh, since this is a picture of redemption, verse two. This second group, some set in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron iron chains because of their rebellion against God's commands. Hmm. And they're despising, and we might use last week's word, opposition to God's plans. That's exactly what I was talking about in this sermon, that people yeah. who oppose, God has a plan for every human being, that they love him, that they love people, that they uh, live a certain life. That's their. That's God's plan, but these people are, are opposing it, despising it. That's called rebellion. And and in this case these people are prisoners of war and so whether it's egypt or i'm not sorry whether it's babylon or assyria or some other maybe even the philistines they're in prison because of their actions and they are released out of that prison by the the grace of god and let's remind ourselves that that is a picture of verse 2 redemption yeah it's a beautiful There's four illustrations of redemption. This is probably my favorite one, um, that God releases us from the prison that we're in because of our own despising His plans or rebelling against Him. And it it might be one of the strongest images. You know, being lost is is powerful. You know, down in verse, the the third group, uh, down in verse um, 17, these are the rebellious. Some became fools through the rebellious ways. And that's powerful. Mm. Um, then the fourth group, the verses, verses 23 and the following, these are people who are struggling. But for some reason, the second group, the idea of being, I'm a prisoner of war. Again, we use that word powerless from yeah. Romans chapter 5. I, I can't do anything about it. And a redeemer comes mm-hmm. and sets me free, releases me from captivity. Yeah. And so my, what I'm trying to communicate is that these are images that Bible times people would have had in their minds. right? And they would have gone, oh, that's, I, got, I know what redemption is. It, it's these kinds of things. And I, I don't think the average person, well, I know the average person doesn't, but I don't think the average Christian thinks immediately of these ways when they hear the word redeem or redemption.
0: Yeah. And so, for sure, even as... And and now, kind of, what we're getting into is something you mentioned in the sermon, which is that there's a there's a rich Old Testament background oh, oh, to redemption. And so, so rich. So, as we're getting into it, you're absolutely right that the the Israelites when they and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when they think redemption, the f- the prime example is the Exodus narrative.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Did, did you mention—I I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, you did get into it in the I, sermon. I think I
1: did a better job of setting that up in the second sermon at okay. 11 o'clock. Um, uh, Than I did in the first. In the first, it was it was it wasn't. I don't think it was as clear. I don't think okay. I communicated as clear as I wanted to. Okay. But I think I did a better job in the second sermon.
0: But for sure that that it, well, and in a lot of ways, the Exodus narrative is. that's sort of like the constitution of oh, the nation of Israel. Absolutely. This is how they got their identity mm-hmm. in in the the first five books of the Bible, uh, one of which is Exodus.
1: Yeah, this is where God fought the Revolutionary War for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> and right. then gave them the Constitution. Yeah. It would fit with our seventeen, you know, 1789, uh writings. Uh so yeah. And for the you know, and so that's the giving of the law on in Mount Sinai. Yeah. And uh but for sure, whether it's uh, whether it's the old testament prophets or whether it's Jesus uh, or whether it's the the preaching of the book of Acts, uh, they're all pointing back to to, to the Exodus, <laughs> and of course, for us past Sunday, you know, that's what that's why we finish celebrating communion by celebrating communion because yeah. it is you know ex- extraordinary picture of redemption.
0: Absolutely, and um, yeah, and so in the Exodus narrative, you have it's you have so what's interesting about. The Exodus narrative, in particular, compared to because it's not uncommon for Israel to be slaves under foreign captivity in the Old Testament. It happens multiple times. Right. But what's interesting about the Egyptian cap, you know them being slaves in Egypt is that it, it was not necessarily they didn't sin and then get carried away in exile. They were just you know they you know after uh, the story of Joseph. You know, the, the Israelites increased in number. The mm-hmm. Egyptians were intimidated by them, and they were trying to quell uh, mm-hmm. quell their uh, their opportunity to rise up and um, be self-sufficient, these sorts of things. And so they enslaved them. And, uh, you know, that's the end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus. And so then God comes and sends them you know, Moses to to speak on his behalf, the, mm-hmm. these sorts of things, and on we go. But com- compared with other Times of exile in captivity. And, and captivity. And captivity. Those other times of exile and captivity were the result of their rebellion. failures and rebellion and right. sin. And so uh, God. So, so the, the the story is set up like this. I've I have redeemed you, and now I want you to enjoy that covenant mm. relationship with me. Right. But they continue to rebel. They mm-hmm. continue to go astray. Which is the the tension of the Exodus narrative. Yep. They, they've done well. Even our readings in Isaiah uh, about. God is in Isaiah chapter five. God is talking about His vineyard being Israel. Mm-hmm. He's like, "What more could I have done? Yeah, I, I took out all the rocks. Right. I, I uh, put a tower. I watered my mm-hmm. vineyard, and I went, and it, it would not produce. It produced the fruit. wild grapes."
1: Yeah. Um, Another thing that's fascinating about all those captivity and exile scenes is is there's no shedding of a sacrificial blood, mm-hmm. and you know God doesn't say, "Okay, I'm going to." We need to sacrifice a bunch of animals, and then I'll bring you out of Babylon. Mm-hmm. You need to sacrifice a bunch of animals, then I'll bring you out of Assyria. No, the only time that that emphasis on the shedding of blood in order to be delivered out of out of captivity, Egypt, is in the Exodus narrative. So that's, that's another right. difference. But yeah. there, are, from then on, there is the regular sacrifice in the tabernacle, and then eventually the yeah. temple of these uh, animals yeah. to to remember and to perpetuate. This, this uh, redemption, this covering, mm-hmm.
0: and, and so when we think about, you know, asking the question in the Old Testament mindset, what is it that you're being redeemed from? Mm-hmm. It's there's kind of two elements there. One is the captivity of a foe like Egypt, mm-hmm. where by you know no wrongdoing of our own we are enslaved mm-hmm. and we're in that sense victims to a foe we need to be redeemed from that mm-hmm. captor but in the second sense and in a very real sense in the case of Babylon and and uh, Persia these sorts of things we're being redeemed from our sin our which, which, yeah. which led us into captivity yeah. Right. Um, and in both cases it's a very powerful metaphor uh, for us as well again we, we've There's a sense in which when we're included with Adam, uh, we're we're guilty of Adam's sin under Mm -hmm. Adam. It's Mm -hmm. Paul's argument in Romans. So we need to be redeemed. In that sense, we're almost like a victim to the reality that we're included with Adam. But we're also (laughs) sinners by our own. But that's why the language of captivity is so
1: powerful. Mm -hmm. Because whether I got there because of my own rebellion or whether I got there because of the rebellion of my forefathers, I'm in captivity and I'm powerless to do anything about it. And I need a Redeemer, a Rescuer, you know, a Savior.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So so were there any other key texts? I know, I know we kind of just glossed over the entire story of the Old Testament, <laughs> but were there any other key texts that, that you were thinking of when you, when you were talking about or, or studying?
1: Um, no, the, the main ones I was thinking about were the Exodus narrative, which we just covered, um, the Levitical uh, laws for... Um, redeeming a, a property or redeeming a, a, a bond slave which I mentioned in the sermon um, uh, or other other things that were redeemed because yeah. you can redeem people, you can redeem land, you can redeem animals, uh, you can redeem donkeys, you know, <laughs> there's provisions for redemption for all of those things um, uh, and then just the, uh, the the picture from Psalm 107 of the, the prisoners of war and yeah. the and the, so I think I think the three biggest images are prison, being redeemed from prisoner of war, being re- released from captivity because of slavery or what otherwise, and then the the, the blood redemption that covers yeah. sins that 's
0: illustrated in the sacrifices,
1: yeah Th- those are the three most powerful images behind biblical picture of redemption,
0: yeah, which those became your three points yeah. under point two which yeah were Such great images, and so there's, I almost want to ask the question. So, av- having discussed kind of that fuller viewpoint of the Old Testament when it comes to redemption, how should that change the way that mm-hmm. we receive our redemption in Christ, or oh. you know, what? How should that impact us?
1: That's funny. We used to word it like that. I think it, in the second sermon, maybe it was the first. I get I lose track sometimes. Um, as I was preaching, I, I got so excited about it. I think I said something like, "This should cause us cause to shout." You know, <laughs> yeah. anybody want to shout here? Because that, to me, is yeah. is one of the. Well, and again, again, Psalm 107, Let them give thanks. It's almost like he's he's telling us, "Hey, after we're reviewing all that God's done for you, you ought to give thanks for His unfailing love." Yeah. Um, and it's not a command to. It's like, you know, you know, it should it should come out of our hearts. It should. Just um, yeah. bubble up gratitude. Um, and that's really the biggest ethic for the New Testament is gratitude for what God's done uh, drives my desire to honor God and all I do. That's right. I'm not trying to pay him back. I'm not trying to you know, keep myself redeemed. I'm not trying to earn what happened. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for what he's done. Well, what else can I do, but live That's for right. his glory? That's right. And Paul makes this clear again and again, you know, live lives worthy because of what God's done. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, whether it's, you know, just thanking God throughout the day, which, you know, some people may think this is strange. I do this as the Holy Spirit brings things to mind to me. I I will literally out loud saying, thank you, Lord. And, and sometimes it's not what he's done it's it's what he's or for me, as much as what he's created. Creation causes me to praise God. But, but back to redemption, uh, when a sermon is preached about redemption or when we're doing, reading in our scripture for devotions about redemption or when we're just thinking about what God's done for us in Christ, it should elicit gratitude. It should elicit a worship. It mm. should elicit commitment to honor him with my life and, and to tell others about, look what God's done you know, for yeah. us and for you. And so it it inspires evangelism, and so you know, there's a lot of things that come out of the redemption uh, <laughs> and what God's done for us.
0: Yeah, I almost as you're talking, I'm thinking about Paul's language in Romans 12. I urge you, mm-hmm. in light of God's mercy, yes, present yeah. yourself as a living sacrifice. Yes. And that again with the redemption imagery, we are not we we don't pay the penalty for our sin, but we can place ourselves on that altar and say, God, I want to live. Mm-hmm. You now I want to I want to be a sacrifice for you yeah. but you've given me life and yeah. so let me live like a sacrifice. Uh, That's one of
1: my favorite images for what we call around here living surrendered. Mm. Because whether it's it's that one and it's Jesus's language of take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. Because a cross is an instrument of death. It's it's not just a place where uh pain happens. It's a place where death happens. Nobody, There's no record ever of someone in antiquity being put on a cross to suffer and then taken down yeah, yeah. before they died. Uh, it was an instrument of death. And so if, when Jesus says, take up your cross and carry your cross, well, you know, I'm supposed to live dead. I'm supposed, it's a picture of living dead. Well, that's the same picture of Paul uses in Romans 12, it's living sacrifice. Well, a sacrifice is something that's laid on an altar to be killed, mm-hmm. so you can't put the word "living" with sacrifice. They don't go together. Well, that's the point. You know, <laughs> just like Jesus slammed together the idea of carrying your cross, Paul slams the idea of living sacrifice. Yeah. Well, that's what living surrendered is. I'm I'm living perpetual Galatians two twenty. I mean, I'm constantly being crucified with Christ, and I'm constantly laying down my own selfish or or even just uh, innocently, uh, ignorant ways, and I'm purposely and intentionally saying, "I want to live for you. I want That's my right. life to be lived for you," and so I surrender, I sacrifice, I take up my cross, mm-hmm. and I do it as a lifestyle. Yeah, I don't do it on Sundays or when I get saved. It's a living, living surrender. So those those two images, Jesus, take up your cross. Paul in uh, uh, Romans twelve one and two, I drove. The picture of what we mean by living surrendered.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, with uh, the time that we have left, I do want to ask one more question, which is
1: time flies when you're having fun.
0: I know. I, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to word it because it, you're someone really connected with me personally um, at a number of points, mm. and so I want to ask a question out of that, but that I think will will may may just be helpful for others as well. And I think I want to start by referencing that Tim Keller quote that you shared mm-hmm. uh, toward the beginning of the sermon, which mm-hmm. said uh, something to the effect of, if you've never understood yourself as God's enemy, it's very possible that you're not a Christian right mm-hmm. now. What I understand Tim saying there, if I can call him Tim, yeah. <laughs> Tim Keller, the great, great guy. Uh, Seeing well, Jesus right now. That's right what I understand him saying is that if you've never grappled with and wrestled with the rebe- the deep sinfulness and rebelliousness of your own heart, then it's possible that you've not really approached Christ with your need for salvation.
1: I think that's a part of it. Uh, maybe half of it. Sure. It's a massive part of it. Yeah. And I think maybe the other side of that is if you've never grasped the what sin does to the heart of God? Yep. What predicament sin creates for a loving, just God? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's only because sin is so heinous that God has to deal with it the way He does. That's right. If it was just mistakes, if it was just an unfortunate series of events, then you wouldn't need a cross. Mm. Um, so whether it's rebellion or whether it's the gravity of sin both of these things necessitate redemption yeah. but before that they both um produce the position of enemy before god
0: that's right uh, and, and so as we as as i thought about that so my story i Accepted Christ at five years old or so. In you know, this church, yeah, in this church, <laughs> uh, through the yeah. So l- we can tell that story some other time. But um, at five years old, obviously, I had a very different level of understanding of my own rebelliousness.
1: Because I think you were just learning the Greek language then. You right, were just yeah. grasping what sin meant in, right. in, the, in the Greek. Yeah, that's right. At, at um, five,
0: yeah. No, obviously I'm not. Sorry, but... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm making
1: light of something that's really, that's very... <laughs> no, no, it's, I'm sorry.
0: Well, well so the, the tough thing was, is then, because I grew up in the church, all of my rebelliousness hit while I was already a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I, I use air quotes just to talk about the complexity for me. I mean, th- this really drove a lot of my tension that I felt growing up, is because I was like, I love Jesus. I know the gospel. Mm-hmm. I've surrendered my life to Christ. And yet I can't seem to get my act together. <laughs>
1: Romans seven. So
0: what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what am I doing? I'm, am I God's enemy or am I God's friend? Mm-hmm. And it created uh, just a tremendous amount of difficulty for me, to- imposter syndrome, uh, depression, anxiety, just because I was, I could not, uh I cannot imagine myself being loved by God because I was like, I, I, feel, I feel like the worst person ever because I know all the right answers. I know what I should be doing and so, I can't seem to do it.
1: So probably one of the verses that you that you were most terrified about was Hebrew 6, mm-hmm. trampling again. The, That's right. Oh, it's like, I did it. I trampled again the blood of Christ. Exactly. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not worthy.
0: <laughs> exactly. How can I
1: be saved again? Or you know, saved because... I did that. I'm I lived that, you know. Exactly,
0: <laughs> precisely. And yeah. and so my my question is as we're thinking about this and being you know being an enemy of God concept uh and and knowing that many folks have a testimony like mine where they came to you know, they they never knew a time where they weren't mm-hmm. a Christian. Mm-hmm. And yet we have all this sin and it seems like man I'm I'm supposed to be a friend of God but I can't I, but it seems like there are elements of my life where I'm still living as God's enemy. What would, you, How would you counsel a, a person yeah. like that? Well,
1: it, 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 first of all, I would say it points out several things. It points out, again, the depth and the power of sin. Yeah. And so, you know, I can be forgiven of my sin, and even the power of sin can be broken in my life, but that doesn't eradicate the presence of sin. Yeah. And, in, and this is an important understanding for Paul. When Paul talks about the flesh in Romans 6 and other places, it's such a powerful and but misunderstood word. My favorite way to talk about the, the, Paul's idea of flesh is that the flesh is the place full of potentiality. It's like a very fertile field. Mm. And when weeds blow into the, uh, weeds, the seeds of weeds blow into that fertile field, and if they take root, they will blossom and produce weeds yeah, and, thorns yeah. and thorns and thistles, sin. And so the human heart is full of this potentiality. And if we entertain sin, if we um, just by being in this sinful world, the, the the seeds can land in that fertile soil and and start producing a crop of sin. Yeah. But in that same fleshly heart is the potentiality for the seeds of the gospel to mm-hmm. land there and to take root there and to blossom. Hmm. And so when the disciples came to Jesus about the story of there's wheat and tare, tares in the same field, should we pull up the tares? Hmm. And Jesus like, no, you know, let will get sorted out into the, the day. So that's a picture of the human heart. There's yeah. In your heart, there's beautiful fruit of the gospel. I mean, I, I literally, I, I know it it's hmm. there, but, and also your heart, there is, there's sin, there's potentiality of sin. And there's maybe some places where you've acted on those weeds taking root, or yeah. those—I'm sorry—the seeds taking root in that fertile heart. And this is why we have to guard our heart. This is why uh, we we need to deal with attitudes, and we need to deal with with sin before it, it it fully blossoms. And sin is a lot easier to deal with when it's just an attitude, or it's just um, the introduction before mm-hmm. it it blossoms into a a deep life of. Being bound by sin, yeah, and th- th- that that language that Paul uses is just so rich and so to your your question about uh, enemies it it, it it points to the power of sin, and like I said earlier, it points to how God deals with sin mm. because he knows its power and because he knows that the heart will grow whatever you plant there. Right. He is jealous for that heart that he is created in his image. He's jealous that sin not take root there or that if it does, it's dealt with, you know, appropriately. And so, you know, once you become uh, a child of God, you know, you are no longer an enemy of God. Mm -hmm. And so God can still say that sin is his enemy. And when sin takes root in your heart, God sets himself against that sin. And this is where I think some of the early language of, can we love the sinner but hate (laughs) the sin? That's not a cop-out. I think there's actually some theological depth there. God is able to love you while fully seeing either the sin that's starting to take root in your life or your willingness to to embrace sin or for its full blossom to be happening. Yeah. He sees all those stages and yet he loves you like a father loves a son with tearful you know an emotional you know passion and he he hates sin because sin ruins his creation. He hates sin because it destroys his children and he he we don't grasp how much he hates sin. So sin is the enemy. That's Death right. is the enemy, and and he's able to separate that out of us and go. You're not my enemy anymore, because you have um, confessed your sin. You've confessed your helplessness. You've embraced grace, and you your your life has been changed. But if you are still living in rebellion and, and have never bowed your knee, have never surrendered, have never Confess your sin then your your sin um, engulfs you and you become the embodiment of that sin and god it will be against the incarnation of that sin and the expression of that sin until it's dealt with and yeah. um, and so God can love the sinner and hate the sin, and we can be. Enemies of God who are redeemed and then become sons and daughters and friends of God, and no longer His enemies. Yes. And and if sin crops up in my life again, it doesn't mean okay. Now I went back to being an enemy. No, He dealt with that on the cross. But your sin needs to be addressed. But it's already been addressed. um, uh, You know. Positionally, in what Christ is on the cross. That's right. And I hope that makes sense. Mm. But, oh no, um, it
0: does. And and f- this mm. is where again, again, it's just a sweet spot for me because this is where God really began to incline me mm. and really began to speak into my mm. heart mm. through passages like Romans mm. five, mm-hmm. because it was my continued. The, the fact that even when I had sinned, I still wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After I had received Christ, I still wasn't good enough to warrant right. salvation. Right,
1: right. and Never so, have been, never
0: will be. Exactly. <laughs> and so the, what, what Paul says in Romans 5, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, yes. Christ died for us. Oh, that's us. such a
1: powerful phrase. While we were yet sinners. Yes. And
0: so it's, for, for me, I've learned to... In addition to everything that you 're saying and and <clears throat> right in line with it, yes, sin is a problem that needs to be dealt with in life, but also the fact that i 'm unworthy of love and the fact that God chose me anyway, <laughs> which is another biblical picture of yes. love oh it is uh, it draws me to worship and inclines my heart again to god and so i don 't um, live in fear even though i 'm still a sinner yeah. I, instead I, I strive to live with God. And yeah. so it's uh and I
1: think that's that that sentiment that you're expressing right now mm-hmm. married with the truth that you're expressing is going to set you up to write an amazing sermon on reconciliation <laughs> in, two, in two weeks <laughs> that's right because you can't talk about redemption and re- reconciliation in cold scientific terms mm mm-hmm. mhm y- y- at least you yes you can. Yes you can. You shouldn't. Especially <laughs> if you're gonna preach on it. That's you, right. You need to let the truth of the gospel impact your life and then yeah. write your sermon out of that.
0: And Paul doesn't write about it in forensic. No, new no way. I mean don't. he he does write it Merely very very yeah. carefully, but you can even see as I'm starting to study mm-hmm. his pen is flying. Yes. Uh I mean obviously his he's his the person writing the letter in his behalf is having I trouble it's, keeping up.
1: Maybe Sylvanus, <laughs> yeah, his amanuensis <laughs> or whatever.
0: But uh, slow down, Paul. Slow down. So I'm I'm looking forward to continuing our conversations on God's love because this yes. I, I believe, if yes, we me too for people that are more and more formed by the truth and the reality of God's love, it will it will change our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: looking forward to this Sunday where we're going to talk about His unfailing love. That's right. We read about it in the the psalm I quoted. -hmm. Let let them give thanks for his unfailing love. That's that chesed love. Yeah. And so, yeah, just like you're getting excited about reconciliation, (laughs) I'm getting excited about the unfailing love of God. But yeah, we probably need to wrap this up.
0: We're excited. We hope that you're excited as well. And we just want to say thank you so much for sticking through to the end with us. (laughs) Uh, If you've uh, enjoyed this podcast and if you're enjoying this conversation, we invite you to let us know by leaving a like or or a review uh, with your feedback. And we would love to uh, include you in on this conversation. And uh, as you guys have feedback or thoughts or questions, as you're listening to the sermon, as you're studying the Gospel of Luke along with us, Uh, We'd love to hear it. So until next week, we will sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.